Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host, Jay Ewing. I usually reside on the Erie campus. It is Wednesday, December 13th, as we record this, the year of our Lord, 2023, with the archives of Calvary Bible Church someday right there, my friend. I got Thomas Milburn in the house. If we've had such a delightful conversation in the last hour, but people, do me a huge, huge Christmas Christmas miracle. Go to calvarybible.com, click your campus, find out what's happening at your campus here at Calvary. Get connected, stay connected, be connected. Make this Christmas so Christ-centered that you forget to order the presents for your loved ones. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you trying to get off the hook? No. I'm sorry. All my all my presents are underneath the Christmas tree, my friend. Really? Yeah. I wrapped the wife unit's presents last night. Wife unit? That's her nickname sometimes. <laughs> it's a endearing uh, nickname. One of my kids told me they were going to wrap themselves and lay underneath the Christmas tree <laughs> to remind us that they're a gift. <laughs> <laughs> They probably said that yelling at you down the hall, right? <laughs> In anger. That's a perfect time to say that. I'm a uh, gift. I'm a gift to this family. Love <laughs> yeah. you too. We won't name names uh, on this podcast, but it is Christmas season. And I discovered this last week, thanks to the Christmas pageant, a new Christmas carol. Yeah. Yeah. It is such a strange Christmas carol, and I've been put off by it somewhat because of the strangeness that it resides in it. Is it Walker Hayes' new song, Fancy Like Christmas? I've never heard that song. (laughs) See? (laughs) Another one. I could add to your musical repertoire. It's called The Boar's Head Carol. Okay. Which our awesome Calvary Kids production of the best Christmas pageant ever sang. In sort of the middle of the, I, of the yeah. pageant. And I was like, that is such a strange song. Yeah. And it was interesting. I had to go back and look up the, the sort of the lyrics. You know, we talked about Wassel last week. <laughs> but we're singing about Boar's Head. And it's a... Uh, you love... Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love this work on your face. This is great. This could be a great podcast. Six, 15th century Christmas carol that describes the ancient tradition of sacrificing a boar and presenting its head at the Yuletide feast. We should do that this year. How interesting (laughs) would that be? But I was like, this is a very interesting That has been replaced with the long-held tradition of Right, right, Carrie. Right, Carrie. At top of the <laughs> charts, uh, putting it, presenting an elf throughout the month of December. Okay, that's a really funny. House. Let me get back to the boar head okay. first. I eat boar's head meat, though. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm I'm interested now if it's a branding from the Christmas Carol. Boar's head meat? Yeah, I doubt it. Yeah, the boar's but. head in hand, I bring. Beckoned with bays and rose Mary. And I pray you, my master, be merry. And then it goes into some Latin. in the translation for the chorus is, The boar's head I bear, render praise to thy Lord. 
capital L. And it's a very interesting Christmas carol <laughs> that I was like, um, yeah, Queens College, Oxford, sort of helped translate that. Hmm. It was super interesting. Boar's Head Carol. You should look it up. Yeah. Josh Garrels, actually, there's a couple of renditions. Josh Garrels, who is a fantastic Christian musician, like maybe the best in the last 10 years, sang the song on his Christmas album. Really? And I found that this week, and I was like, oh, there you go. So, enjoy. Do you feel like for musical artists, you know you've made it when you are producing a Christmas album? Do you know why they produce a Christmas album? No, I have no I don't. I, I have no idea. Yeah. It's, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, actually. Okay. I know why everyone does a Christmas okay. album. It's because they have a one in a million chance of making it with one song mm. and generationally giving wealth to their family from that one song at Christmas time. Like that they sing that version of that song. Yeah, whatever. It's like Bing Crosby. Yeah. Like his family still gets royalty checks every year. And so... That's why all artists go and make a Christmas album. It's there's it's like a one shot type type of thing to like get the song that's in our playlist, like yeah. rocking around the Christmas tree. She was like twelve when she re- sang it. So, anyways, that's why artists do that. Yeah. So I know Garth Brooks listens to this podcast. Yeah. And Mariah Carey. So if you could send me a text this week and just confirm what Jay just said is true. I actually talked to a Nashville artist about it one time. I, I like, don't doubt what? you did. He's like, yeah, it's, just, it's just your Listen, lottery ticket. I fully believe you. I just want to <laughs> backtrack. <laughs> you should do it on this podcast quite often. <laughs> Obviously, clearly, you're talking to Jay Ewing. But yes, I thought that was super interesting. That is actually inside. interesting. Yeah. So you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you want to produce a Christmas album? Yo, totally. <laughs> it's, going, it's going to the booth next year. You and I. You, br- you bring the boar's head. Yes. Yeah, I'll bring the drum. Oh, man, that'll be hilarious. <laughs> Jay Ewing and Thomas Milburn Christmas album. I'm sure oh, I'm man. sure someone in the world would want to listen to it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> that know. would not be our know. wives nor our moms. I think anyone who knows us would not purchase <laughs> the album, but somebody would somewhere with a good, with a good marketing team. We could get some traction and I, I know a few people. The, yeah. It's, it's the talked to Sarah after hitting court. Yeah. She can run our marketing campaign for our Christmas album. <laughs> <laughs> We're popular in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I would love to hear from you and the, yeah. our listeners of other strange Christmas carols. Because there's some few, there's a few. Yeah. Like the Ivy and the, the Holly and the Ivy Christmas carol, which I ran into last year and became my favorite mm-hmm. of last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think the boar's head's going to make it this year, but you never know. All right, submit your favorite bizarre Christmas carol. Yeah, leave a comment in the YouTube show notes, and we will pay attention in the next week. Next to your five-star. Actually, if you could do six stars now, that'd be better. Yeah, six stars would be great. Seven for completion. Yeah, seven for completion. (laughs) Man, we are almost done with Revelation. Yeah, how do you feel? You know, I am excited. Um, In like two weeks. We're going to collectively read the last two verses together yeah. and say amen. That means don't miss the next couple of weeks yeah. here at Calvary. This, is, this week's going to be fun. And then you know, we have Christmas Eve that's actually on a Sunday. And then we'll wrap up all of Revelation on December 31st. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to sew that whole thing up. 
It's going to be great. Can we guarantee the doxology sung on the 31st now here on the podcast? I, weeks away. Yes, I would like to at this moment guarantee the possibility. <laughs> You're wordsmithing here, bud. I need the I would full like to guarantee the possibility that that may happen. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yes. What's the what, what, what more fitting a song to be sung on the 31st of January, of December, uh, or the 30th? Christ be the glory. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But the doxology yeah. is thousands years older than that song. Yes. That's, that's probably true. Yes. Yeah. That's most likely true. That's... Yeah. Almost guaranteed. Almost guaranteed. But yes, leave us a comment, Christmas carols in the YouTube. We would love to hear some of the strangest Christmas carols you've ever heard. Yeah. But there you go. Okay, we are in the end of Revelation almost. I I thought your comment to me on Sunday, I didn't get permission to share this, so. It's fine. Our friendship is at stake right here. It's it's always on shaky ground. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. (laughs) Very, that is truth. Uh, you said after this week, the real heavy lifting of this book is done, and now we just get to preach the return of Christ. And I thought that is a weight I have not felt this fall that a preacher does when you are preaching the whole counsel of God and not skipping chapters. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's true for everybody. I think for me, you know, chapters, whether it be 13 through maybe 21, are so fascinating, and there are so so much depth to it that is unfamiliar to most people, and many parts to me, that it takes more study, more intentionality, more prayer, more thoughtfulness to go through. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it felt, felt good kind of getting through 21 in some respects. I'm not sure if I did a great job this week, but then... Just turning towards, he's back. Jesus is back. And look at all the newness right. that, he, that he comes to bring. It's super interesting. It's great. Yeah. So. I mean, let's. It's we talked about this a little before we hit record today. I feel like reading Revelation now, after a whole season of study, I don't know how to read the book anymore except for it seems like a collection of visions that might be linear at times and sometimes they don't feel linear. Yeah. Um, How would you, as you've studied the book this fall, here's a question. How would you frame up how to read Revelation now after our whole journey as a community through it this fall? Yeah, I think... I think the amount of time spent in it this time around was good. We originally started with a really long outline as far as like 50-some weeks or something like that. And then we cut it back and said, well, what if we did like 28 weeks? And then it got snipped again to what it presently is at, I don't know, 18 or 20, Mm -hmm. which I felt like was the right amount of time for people who are less familiar with the book Mm -hmm. to become familiar with it in in such a way that they can grasp it. Like they... Mm -hmm. They can kind of remember where we started just a few months ago and end within the you know one kind of semester, so to speak. And so they can kind of hold the book together. Yeah. Whereas if it was way too long, I think you kind of forget the beginning from the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then if it's too short, 
It's just not substantive enough. Yeah. But, you know, a, a great way to think about it is actually your boy, Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. He writes a book called Reverse Thunder. Oh, that's a really good book. Good book. And and his his observation of what John is doing in it as far as using Old Testament text. And what we've been doing is, hey, you know, this language is all Old Testament language, and we've been calling it hyperlinks and going to see what was originally written and then how John carries it forward. This was Eugene Peterson's observation of what John has done with biblical language that he's familiar with, which would be my encouragement to people as they become more familiar with the language of Revelation for their present life. And Eugene writes, John does not merely repeat Scripture. It is recreated in him. He does not quote Scripture in order to prove something. Rather, he assimilates Scripture so that he becomes someone. And I know that sounds a little Yoda-esque, but it's like he has so embodied the scriptures that when he is seeing what God's doing, how God's unfolding it, it is simply the story of God through his own life. And I think that's where I would take Revelation and say, okay, now we've described many things that were, that are, that will be. Can that become embodied in us? Not so that we can proof text Revelation and get them into our systems, um, but that we would actually become someone who sits and waits eagerly um, for the arrival of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah, Eugene. Eugene's so thoughtful, um, and that's a book we haven't quoted at all in the book in the series right. Revelation. That's a worthy read. Yeah, I think when you think about like illustrations, fall so short in helping to explain how to read Revelation. I mean, you've used the Tom Brady analogy a few times, which I think is a great introduction to language, right? Um, or how we use even like a football game in the review and you're watching replays and watching halftime, you know, this, this sort of makes sense with revelation as well. You mentioned one today. I don't think we've talked about much is like you're walking an art gallery mm-hmm. and you're going from picture to picture. And sometimes in art galleries, they have themes. There's a thematic theme throughout yeah. the building. When you go to Denver art museum, my favorite is the Western theme. I love, I love Western art. Yeah. It's the Texas in me comes alive. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I should buy some boots and walk through here. <laughs> but I think that might be a helpful illustration for reading Revelation as well. Um, I would be interested to hear other preachers over the centuries. This might be there someday for me, but how they would explain how to read Revelation. Yeah. You know what would be interesting was if you brought even a more modern example with social platforms mm-hmm. that are very vivid or visually oriented. Yeah. So you think about the gram, you know, um, it's that they even have like things called stories, right? Right. And most likely those stories are chronological, not always. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you're scrolling, then I saw this, then I saw that, that may not actually be chronological in the way in which it happened. Right. But I think we have become such a visual society that I, I think it's easier for us to grasp the idea of revelation as a, as a visual um, representation of what's, what's happening. Right. Even, I mean, I would say I, I read the Bible literally. Mm-hmm. And literal means like literally what is the genre? Literally what is the, the verbiage that's being used? How did the first century people use, receive, acknowledge these words, um, use this vernacular? Like that's what it means to have a literal viewing or reading of the text. Like it's not that you don't believe in symbolism. Right. Like you recognize that symbolism is part of a literal reading as well. And I think our culture today being so visual grasps that in some way that maybe, maybe 
you were in the earlier centuries, it'd be harder to, to grasp. But like, think about how, I mean, I'm not very smart. And the fellas I hang out with sometimes aren't very smart. And so we just send memes to each other. Mm-hmm. And it communicates so much, right? It does. In just a single picture, maybe right. with one sentence, right. you know? And you think, man, that captures an entire idea or an emotion. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel something. It makes me participate in whatever we're talking about in a totally different way than just even a thumbs up or words would do. And that's what revelation, I think, is. Yeah. Is I want you to know something, but I want you to feel the weight of this as well. Yeah. It seems like someone who's bent to an artistic soul, you would call them, would have an easier time reading revelation than someone like, who's bent to like linear processing things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if we talked about this before. Um, our friend Chris was down in New Mexico and he stumbled in an, in an art shop that one of the artists there had, um, I think with ceramics or maybe it was metals. I can't remember started creating all the visuals mm-hmm. of revelation. It's pretty bizarre. Yeah. But it it's, captures the imagination. Yeah, it captures the imagination, and it, it it paints a picture for your mind's eye. Yeah, I think that's the most important part of Revelation is enjoy the imagination of painting these pictures. Yeah, and so much of our faith and formation doesn't use our imagination very well anymore, and Revelation invites us back into that. And I like, I like that about the book. Yeah, I think you, you think about like world powers, and you'd say, okay, let's describe you know bad world powers and you'd say oh they're they're evil they're oppressive they're fascists and it's like these are all words if i just said they're like beasts that devour it's like oh okay you don't have to even use all of these particular words i i understand what you're talking about yeah no doubt so no doubt that's good that's really good as we finish the book i think it's helpful to come back to some of these early questions we had about the book more informed mm-hmm. and more saturated in sort of the, the story. I think it'd be fun. I mean, I don't know if anyone has time or if I have time, but if you did like an evening of eschatology mm-hmm. um, with everyone who's journeyed with us for the last few months and said, hey, we're going to spend three hours. We'll get, we'll get a couple breaks in there. And we're just going to start Revelation 1 and just kind of walk our way through and see if we can just be reminded of all the things that we talked about and maybe discuss a few more things in detail um, and do it all in one sitting. Mm-hmm as though we sat down just to read a letter from Jesus, if we would remember so many of the things that we explored over the months. Mm-hmm. Be cool. Yeah. My my dad gave me a helpful insight as we started Revelation when I, we talked about it early this fall. He said, Jake, make sure you listen to it at least once through this fall. And I think that would be helpful before the end of the year is sit down, put it on your Bible Gateway, put it on your Bible app, the ESV app, and just listen to the book one more yeah. time. And it doesn't take that long. It's under 30 minutes of listening. But sort of just let it be read to you as you listen. Because that's how John says we should do it. Yeah. He says, listen. Yeah, he who has ears, she who has ears, listen. Yeah, totally. And so that might be a practice as well, again, to pick up before the end of the yeah. year to finish out the book. Okay, so... Before we get into this conversation, I want to frame it up by asking, how does the Bible define a thousand years across the entire scope of the 66 books? 
Uh, Is that too hard of a question? Well, I don't know exactly what the answer to that would be. I think there's many uses mm-hmm. of a thousand years. So what are some of the uses of a thousand years? Well, you know, we mentioned one with um, Proverbs. Let's see here. Actually, I have a couple in my notes still. So here's here's Psalm, you know, 50 that we mentioned. Not Proverbs, but Psalms. Where he says, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So thousand hills represents like the entirety of the earth, essentially. Yeah. So the fullness of. Here's Song of Solomon. Um, Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone, and it hangs a thousand shields. Mm-hmm. Like, Okay, well, how many shields does she have around her neck? Here's Joshua 23.10. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. So one of you puts to flight a thousand adversarial warriors. It's like, okay, is that a literal thing? Mm-hmm. Or is that to show power, sovereignty, strength, um, fullness, mm-hmm. ownership? You know, I think, again, it's even in historical literature like Joshua, not just simply, you know, song and poetry like Psalms. I think it's being used in a way that is describing something that's not a literal 1,000-year period of time. Mm-hmm. However, is there many things in which he says, this is you're going to go into exile for 70 years to David? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's 70 years. Yeah. doesn't mean anything besides it's 70 years, you know? Yeah, totally. Or 40 years in the wilderness. Does 40 represent a time of, of judgment, or is it literally 40 years? Well, it's probably both. Yeah, because then you get 40 days... Of Jesus, 40 yeah. days through the Old Testament. <clears throat> yeah, that's super interesting. So there's, I, could, I mean, in the notes here, there's at least another half a dozen or so uses throughout. And this is what I think is so interesting about the thousand is it's used in almost every genre. And so you have the historical books, you have the law, you have the prophets, you have the Psalms, hmm. you have wisdom literature, and they're all using thousand almost proverbially. Wow. Um, that's super interesting. Yeah. So what should we be thinking about after this week's preach, after sort of understanding some of the end-time eschatology views, eschatological views of Scripture? What should we be thinking about? What should be in our mind as readers uh, this week post the preach? Yeah. um, Is it what you summed it up with at the end? I know. You know, I thought, you going into it, I thought, man, I'm not going to go verse by verse on this one, I'm going to help people who have never been around this conversation know that there are many views on it. And I don't know if that was the most helpful. I think it helped some. I'm not sure if it helped all. Um, but I think what, what, yeah, obviously what I want in people's mind is to remember the main point was, hey, there are, there are varieties of views coming to the sequencing and schematics of these events. But there's the substance, which is the same. And we looked at the substance of bodily, visible return of Jesus Christ to destroy the destroyers, to put an end to the final enemy, Satan and death itself, to judge the living and the dead, mm-hmm. and to bring his good eternal reign mm-hmm. in the new heavens and the new earth. Like substantively, whatever eschatological camp you're in, you, you would affirm that. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece that I would have in people's minds is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, where Paul says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's the first new pro, you know, produce of what um, his crucifixion has brought. And then 
Paul just says, For as by a man came death, by a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, so there is an order to these things, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong with him or belong to Christ, that's what we saw in Revelation, then comes the end. And then almost every camp can come here and say, well, what's the sequence of the end? We just know that that's the end. Is Jesus Christ returned, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Like, hey, what's, what is that period of reign? Is that a heavenly reign? Is that a millennial, like literal 1,000 years? Is that categorically um, a sovereign reign? What's that look like, heaven, earth? But then 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Mm-hmm. And you see all that in Revelation 21 is, okay, we should wait with eager expectation of the arrival of Jesus Christ yeah. to bring our blessed hope, the removal of all things that are evil and wicked within ourselves in our world and restore all things to himself. And the last enemy that we're longing to be destroyed, death itself will be swallowed up. And that's what we see here in, in 20. And that's probably the message, right? That the first century churches, the seven churches that the book was written to were hearing yeah. when he was describing all this, right? Yeah. I think what's so fascinating is so many of the repeats of what was articulated to the church in the first couple chapters mm-hmm. are brought throughout the rest of the chapters mm-hmm. as far as like those who conquer, you know, promises who give a crown of life. You'll be in the temple of God. You'll be pillars in the temple of God. I mean, here in, specifically in 20 is the mention of you'll have no fear of the second death, which is exactly what they told the church in Smyrna. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, don't be afraid that hardship's coming to you. Like Satan is going to test many of you for 10 days. Some of you guys are going to be put in prison, some unto death. Don't fear that be more than a conqueror, and those who conquer have no fear of the second death. And then here in 20, we're seeing what is the second death? And the second death is, okay, I've died physically. My body's died. I've been in the grave. I'm in this state of, some people call soul sleep or whatever. You're awakened to the reality of judgment, and then you're put to eternal death. That's the second death. It's not just a bodily death. It's eternal spiritual death. Um, I think that's why Jesus says, don't, don't fear man who can kill the body. Fear the one who, after destroying the body, can send your soul into eternal hell. So a really simple question, probably really hard to. As believers, we will not taste second death. That's right. What does that mean? Second death, in our statement of faith, would be a conscious awareness of an internal separation from God. Mm-hmm. And that'll never be your reality, which means the hardship that you're experiencing right now as a believer is the hardest it will ever be for you. Which is the most liberating thing you could say. Freedom. Yeah. Joy of knowing that reality. I think it's hard to believe that reality. I, I Oh, totally. Because it doesn't feel that way. Mm. It doesn't smell that way. It doesn't look that way. Mm-hmm. Um. With our senses, can I? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it doesn't taste that way. It's just like this. This feels as real as it's ever going to be. And you're like, no, this is this is not it. And you really have to embrace it. But once you do, you go, okay. If Jesus Christ is who He said He is, and He's done what He says He's done, and He has this inheritance that He promises me, I'm in. Right. Because I think that I mean, we we casually made this point, and I think it's true for really however you read Revelation, is the juxtaposition of the amount of suffering compared to the millennial reign, a thousand years, 
whether that be specifically millennial kingdom or if it's the beginning of the eternal state or if it's figurative language, just the juxtaposition of a thousand years in contrast to three and a half years of persecution, of 42 months of persecution, of 1,260 days of persecution, whether that's literal or symbolic or figurative, just just the juxtaposition is radical. Yeah, it's extremely radical. A hundred times is the reward. Right. For those who are overcomers. It's like, okay, so if, I, if I'm told I'm going to have hardship for three and a half years, it's like college, yeah. high school. Okay, I'll persevere because what's the reward on the outside of that? Mm. And you think about it, people will do hard things like college for three and a half years, four years. Um, they'll even go to a doctorate program, seven years, nine years, I don't know. And then the goal is 40, 50 years of a career. Right. And here Jesus gives us a better view of like, how about a thousand years? Mm. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of what I have in store for you. So as a believer, even in this Christmas season, let's get real practical. Like the joy of this season is that because of our great Savior's work in redeeming us, we don't have to worry about what's next. Yeah. I think I would say the first advent, his first coming, Truly, the, the angels announce, like, there's the messengers again, right? They, they announce this great news of, or um, great news of great joy, good news of great joy for all people, mm-hmm. um, that there's peace, that, that Jesus has come to establish peace between God and man. Mm-hmm. So it's like a relational peace. And then that fully realized is his second advent. Mm-hmm. And so here at Christmas, you're reminded of, oh, man, I'm right with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And being right with the Lord is I'm waiting for my eternal reward. Mm-hmm. And as we step into chapter 21 this week, which I encourage everyone to get in and read, you're going to see everything transformed. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a new marriage. You're going to see a new family. We're going to see a new community. We're going to even see a new worship that is instituted, that is unfrustrated by sin. Right. It's just full of delight and glory and intimacy. Wow. It's like that is yours for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Mm. And so I think those are just the worthy Advent meditations of, okay, he came within history to, to reconcile man back to himself. And so men and women who believe in Jesus Christ are at peace with God. And now we wait for that, that peace to be the ultimate reality everywhere. Mm. That's beautiful. I think that's where we should end the podcast. And the real question is, do you know that peace? For our listeners, right? Do you know the peace of Christ? Have you trusted? Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved and to receive that peace of Christ during Christmas season? That's why we invite so many people to church on Christmas. I know. I'm really excited for the Christmas Eve message. Um, Music's going to be great. There's going to be fun kid stuff. I'm really excited to be talking about the salvation that Simeon saw. And I, I just encourage anyone who has a friend, has a neighbor, has a loved one that just doesn't see Jesus for who Jesus is, and this might be a great opportunity for you to come in a non-threatening way to hear the clarity of the gospel and the kindness of God and the nearness of God for them in their life. Wow. It's going to be good. All right, Calvary, that's what we need from you. We need you to invite. We also need you to pray. Pray for those seats that are around you pray for those people those names that you need to invite pray for the spirit of god to be always moving among us and saving and reconciling and bringing peace between god and man 
this Christmas season. Also, just a quick heads up. If you want to join us in this Advent season, go to calvarybible.com slash Advent. I've designed a daily prayer meditation. You pray along with Jay every morning during the Christmas season. We do a reading plan as well, and we're reading through one of the most fascinating psalms in the Bible, Psalm 119, together. Join me to pray with me through this Christmas season to center your hearts, center my hearts on Jesus Christ. All right, we love you. Have a great week, people.